This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. And today I'm joined with Claudio Minet, who is the co-founder of Seedon, which for those that don't know, is a crowdfunding platform that is on the blockchain. So we're talking blockchain and crowdfunding. So Claudio, thanks for being a guest on the show. Hello guys, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So what are some of the issues that you found with crowdfunding that made you think that Seedon was the way to go? What did you notice that needed to change or be improved on? Yeah, so uh, basically crowdfunding is an industry which is uh, well established for now. So basically we have a lot of people actually investing into crowdfunding campaigns, being it either equity crowdfunding or donation-based crowdfunding campaign. And uh, from what it consists, it's, it's actually uh, split into two parts. So we have the investor, which is looking to put his money into a cool new idea. And then we have the entrepreneur, which is going to make good use of the capital to make that idea a reality. From the investor's perspective, you actually lack uh, visibility and accountability for how the capital is being spent, because all you know is that you put your money into a funding portal. Uh, if the campaign has reached its goal, so the pledge has been met, then it's going to be considered a success and the entrepreneur is going to get the money. Otherwise, it's going to get the reimbursement. But in the case for a successful campaign, you have no idea when the money is going to be transferred to the entrepreneur, how it is going to make use of that capital, and what is going to be uh, going on with the implementation of the company. So basically, all you know is that it's going to get the cash up front and then go, go its way and implement the company. And you might actually end up eventually with an email saying, yeah, I know uh, our project for crowdfunding that was about six months ago. That's not possible anymore, so you're not going to get the product or the service or whatever you have actually invested in. Uh, I also happened. I also uh, was a, was a victim of a uh, uh, of such a case for a crowdfunding campaign. There was such a cool product in which I actually put about fifty dollars, and then I have received an email about I think it was five or six months later that they went bankrupt. It's not uh, possible anymore. So yeah, that was that was basically it. Um, so yeah, basically the main the main uh, uh, features for the platform are going to be transparency and traceability for investment transactions. Because you can actually be aware at all times where your money is going to be going, uh, where it's going to um, to be sent back and forth to the entrepreneur. And also I can see those investment transactions at all times in the blockchain because those are going to be immutable, they're going to be there forever, so those cannot actually be, be altered. Yeah, this is basically for, for the main points. Uh, what we are going to be doing differently uh, for the convention uh, in regard to conventional crowdfunding is the fact that we're going to be having a controlled startup capital infusion. What this means is the fact that, for example, an entrepreneur is going to become to submit a listing request uh, for Sidon to list a startup. It's going to be coming, of course, with a pitch deck, roadmap, and so on, so the basic information. But in addition to this, we're going to be requiring the entrepreneur to come with a roadmap split into implementation stages. It's going to have at least three implementation stages. Each implementation stage must have a period of implementation. Right? So we're going to have, for example, for the first stage, from the 1st of June to the 1st of August, is gonna have a set of milestones. So it's gonna have all those defined in each implementation stage. Each stage must have a percentage of capital allocated for, um, for the implementation. So when the crowdfunding campaign has been successful, so the money has been raised, it's going to be receiving only the, uh, the, the capital for the first stage. And that is going to be at most 20%. It's gonna get the cash, it's gonna start working on the start implementation for the product. After completing all those milestones, it's going to actually release the next, the next capital infusion to be able to proceed to the um, with the development of the company, of course, this is the this is the the happy flow, right? When everything goes according to plan, but sometimes it doesn't happen like this. So this is why we're going to have a blockchain-based uh, voting model, and what this means is the following. So as an entrepreneur, I, so for example, let's take uh, uh, the following uh, startup idea. We're going to build an electric bike, and we want to have for the first implementation stage three milestones. We want to build an MVP. We want to attain a certificate for mass production. And after having those, we want to go to a conference and present it to the world. Right? So it's going to be a worldwide conference, which is going to have a lot of media. So we do this. First, we go um, uh, and attain the certificate for mass production. He's going to come to Sidon, submit the, the certificate so we can approve it, and then mark the milestone as done. And then it's going to be proceeding to building the MVP. He has the metrics for the product, he has everything set up. He went to the factory, uh, made a submission for building the prototype. But then the pandemic came and the factories uh, became closed. So there was actually no way to move things forward. So this is a case that might happen. Of course, this was uh, contextual for the for 2020. But for now, maybe we're going to have some something else in the future. 
so basically you have a blocking factor which is going to be out of your reach so as an entrepreneur i'm going to actually make um, i'm going to emerge a vote to my investors and say all right guys so look this is the motivation for my vote i need to actually be able to move this uh, this milestone to a future implementation stage because due to the current situation i cannot build it anymore because the factories are going to be closed they're going to be opening again in two months but then the implementation stage is going to be over so this is not going to to, uh, to be met and that point investors are going to be voting of course each uh, investor is going to have a different percentage for the voting power according to the size of the investment all right so one that has put in a hundred dollars is going to have less power than one that has put in a thousand dollars so basically they're going to be merging a vote if it's going to be successful we're going to, we're going to be moving the, the implementation stage sorry the milestone from the current implementation stage to the next one so we can actually mark the current one as complete and then uh, release the capital for the next implementation stage so we can uh, unblock the startup uh, to pursue the development otherwise we're going to be marking this as a failure so they're going to be getting a reverse a reimbursement for their uh, for their capital and this is sort of like our uh, this thing let's say yeah, distinct feature which we're going to be having in uh, in comparison with our competition it sounds like there's a lot of infrastructure and processes in place to essentially protect everybody involved so the people that yeah. are investing can get reimbursements they're investing in particular stages and then what kind of things are in place for the people that are starting the crowdfunding campaigns because if it doesn't go that well what happens then is it wiping the slate clean or do they get enough cap like how does it work in certain situations i can see it being quite complicated so you mean from the perspective of the entrepreneur of the startup owner yeah yeah so basically from their perspective they're gonna have of course to uh, to come with a business plan so for the business plan you actually have to plan out everything for a company which is going to be costs like estimates on how it's going to to be developed for example for our example with the bicycle you have to take into consideration uh, the cost of building the mvp uh, for getting the, uh, the the certificate for mass production and so on, we're going to have a team of developers, perhaps, or maybe a team of uh, business development and business development manager, and so on. So we're going to have to plan out those according to your business needs. So then we're going, we're going to have to, um, uh, to be defining your uh, pledge goal for the campaign. Uh, of course, if there is going to be a case in which uh, the estimation has been poorly done, and uh, the first the capital for the first stage is not going to be enough then they're going to be able to merge the vote so they can switch the milestones between implementation stages according to their budget so this is going to also be possible because it happens or even though you might have uh, the sufficient capital for the first implementation stage but then you might have a great opportunity to actually move things forward like at a faster pace but you need capital to actually be able to do this for example yeah. i don't know maybe you, you get a partnership with the with the, with the uh, local producer or something like this so you can basically uh, move things forward but you need extra cash so you can also make that vote and uh, have that uh, have that possible it sounds like there's a back and forth happening between the investors and the the business owner company that started mm-hmm. the the campaign yeah. how easy and seamless is it to actually communicate because some investors would put the money in and then don't really want necessarily to be emailed all the time and they get frustrated with back and forward emails kind of thing it becomes very long drawn out and if someone just wants mm-hmm. to invest and then walk away they believe in it no matter what happens to their money how i mean can you actually set on the system i just want to invest and then i don't really want to be contacted again how, how do the different connections work and how does the communication work yeah, so basically in regard to the communication, uh, this is another point that we're going to have as a, as a distinctive uh, thing in regard to conventional crowdfunding, is the fact that we're going to be uh, not enforcing, it, it sounds a bit tough. Uh, we're actually going to be requiring entrepreneurs to schedule uh, company meeting updates, which they're going to be meeting with their investments investors into a video call, which is going to be quarterly or bi-monthly or something like that. It, it depends on the length of the implementation stage. They can, in fact, provide an update uh, to their investors on how the community, uh, sorry, how the uh, company development is going and how everything is going according to plan or not. What are their impediments? What did they manage to achieve? What are they looking forward to? And so on. So this is like the this is from the communication perspective. So to update their investors uh, in regard to what you have suggested, um, if we have some investors which actually don't want to have any implication, but just trust the decision of the CEO and that's it. 
this is going to uh, to have ourselves coming into place. So as we're going to have the, the voting emerge, we're going to see how the investors are going to be responding to this. If they're not going to get a sufficient amount of investors voting uh, for the decision, then we're actually going to be helping the company to understand what is the current situation and what is going to be uh, needed to be done accordingly for the next steps. Because we're going to also have a team of consultants on our side, which is which they're going to be reviewing the um, uh, the startups of the pitch decks, uh, which are going to be submitted for our for our platform. Uh, what we are going to be doing is not going to be uh, a feasibility uh, analysis. Basically, we're going to be looking on only into the pitch deck to see that there has been a lot of effort put into it. They already have a team. Maybe there's an existing company or not, but we just don't want to have startups which have been actually written uh, in one day and then trying to raise some capital and that's it. We just want to have actually people with experience that they have an idea and they believe in. And we just want to understand that uh, that's actually uh, a strong team behind the, the project. And this is also uh, so the same consultancy team which is going to be reviewing the pitch decks are going to be coming into the voting. So to try to understand what is the reason for, for the decision of uh, uh, behind the vote and try to, to actually get things forward and to uh, unblock the, the team. I hope that those that listen to it, I'm trying to actually pick out some things that yeah. are different about Seedon that you don't necessarily get with other crowdfunding models. Because as you mentioned before, is that sometimes you can put the money in and then not hear anything and may just take your money and, and walk away and walk off and you're left with your pants down metaphorically and not have any <laughs> access to anything and your money's gone, disappeared. Um, exactly. I guess depending on who the investor is they're probably more bothered about that than others you know some people that just invest and it flops it flops that's fine you know with yeah. some people that are a bit more concerned that their their money's gone so i find it interesting how blockchain has in a way enabled this level of communication and connection with investors because in the past some of the more tra traditional traditional platforms typically have a hard time trying to actually manage this because of the limits of the the technology or, or any of those things is that the case with what you were trying to put together and you realized that blockchain was how you were able to do this was it the technology that was the limiting factor previously you know before seed on let's say or is it something else is there something else that's what's held people back traditionally when it comes to crowdfunding um in regard to the evolution of the, of the conventional crowdfunding uh i think it might be also related to the technology but not so much because for example what we're going to be uh ensuring through our company is not something which is going it's not a revolutionary uh, aspect in the technology right so the blockchain is the, the blockchain aspect is, but what I mean, for example, for the communication, uh, for the voting, um, we're also going to be having, so this is another thing which we have uh, uh, in addition to the commercial crowdfunding, is the fact that we're going, we're going to be protecting the intellectual property of the startups. So each investor going to the platform, they're going to have to go through a KYC process, then they're going to have to uh, fill in an NDA document, so non-disclosure agreement document, and this are going to be guarding the uh, intellectual property for the startups. And only after we have completed the, uh, the full registration process, you can actually uh, see the full details of a, of, a, of a crowdfunding campaign. Until then, they're also going to be seeing some information, but not just like the sensitive one as the business plan, the pitch deck, like uh, what is the mission, the product, the vision, and so on. Uh, in regard to why this has not been done uh, before, I am not actually sure. So I think the industry, the crowdfunding <laughs> industry is old, but not that old. So I think this is why there's, this is another good thing in uh, um, in this industry because it's not too old to be saturated and it's not too old into the market. So we actually have no place and then uh, we're actually going to have to educate the users on what we're trying to achieve. So I think it's sort of like the like the best timing for us. We have the blockchain which is going which is becoming quite mature and it's evolving day by day. What we have um, observed throughout the years. So the first time I have heard about about blockchain was in uh, 2017. And from that point, I just started to read and try to keep up with the technology. Uh, myself, I am a software engineer, so I have started working as an engineer in uh, 2016. And uh, I was quite lucky to, to find it sort of like in its early stages, so I, I could actually uh, uh, keep a close eye on it, on its evolution. 
what I have actually discovered was IBM's blockchain technology. This is actually outside the crypto space, which so is the blockchain technology. So like a distributed ledger and that's it. So it doesn't have any, any cryptocurrency. Um, but I just found it interesting because I saw a huge adoption into the financial industry. So a lot of, a lot of banks have invested into this technology from, from IBM. IBM's blockchain technology is the leading solution from the market into this industry. So that's, that's impressive. And uh, what I have discovered is the fact that, all right, so we have the blockchain, which is desired. Uh, we have this technology, which is actually having a significant impact into the industry. And it's, it's, a, it's a perfect fit for the, for the financial sector. But uh, a small category from the financial sector, which is the crowdfunding, has been mostly overlooked. And it actually has great potential to, um, to be implemented with the blockchain, because this is actually what crowdfunding and blockchain can do. For each investment transaction, you can have it on blockchain. You can see it. You can see the amount. You can see uh, the receiver who actually sent the capital and so on. So that, in my perspective, was was a huge, huge advantage. And maybe uh, they didn't go on this approach because, uh, from my perspective, so because I'm a software developer, I also have a software development company, which have been co-founded in 2018. I understand that. Uh, it is way more difficult to pivot from a company which is established. So I have a crowdfunding, a crowdfunding platform, which is like conventional crowdfunding campaign, um, which is working fine. I have a lot of customers and a lot of revenue. It's very difficult to pivot and change implementations to be based on blockchain instead of having it built from scratch into this approach, into this manner. So you can actually uh, build it from the ground up based on blockchain. And maybe this is the reason for it. Um, I did see, uh, I think that was about three or four months ago, an article from uh, Kickstarter, which they're going to, uh, to start to make use of the blockchain. But from their perspective, sorry, from the user's perspective, nothing is going to be changed. So they have a slow adoption for the technology. They just actually have to try to adapt it and move things uh, slow step by step until they actually be able to manage to build a mature solution based on the blockchain. Our advantage is the fact that we're going, we have started from day one with blockchain and we're actually going to have it maybe quicker into this approach. What I find probably more interesting than some people that are listening to this is I've interviewed a few people now that are using the blockchain in multiple different ways. And to some, they probably don't even know it exists. So part of the reason why I'm having interviews with people like yourself is it's here, it's established, and yet outside of the crypto NFT, which we're going to get to later, outside of that, it's almost like they're in a bubble still. Mm -hmm. It feels yeah. like you're either in the VIP lounge where everyone knows, or you're stood outside wondering what's on the inside. You've no idea what's actually happening, which makes me think well, more people do need to be let in to the lounge where they get to see what's going on and all the weird and wonderful things that previous guests have mentioned. Crowdfunding, though, really piqued my interest because a lot of things have come to light about community building. NFTs mm -hmm. in particular have really latched on to the community element recently. It's almost like another version of community building. And you mentioned the... Um, back and forth communication between investors and companies and businesses. It just seems a little bit like the NFT space in a way, because mm -hmm. you crowdfund an NFT through people buying it, whether it goes up and down or not, just depends on the NFT and who created it and how much traction they can get. It seems a very similar approach in the way that it's done, because you want investors to invest in the NFT, buy the NFT, get the access, all those things, that then almost confirms the value of it for it to mm -hmm. go up and take off. It seems quite similar to that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, basically, we just want to have the community and the investors engaged and involved into the development of the company, because this is important, because you also have as an entrepreneur, you have the vision, you have the idea, but sometimes you might actually be, uh, maybe not to observe a few things which might actually benefit your company. So you do have the community which is helping also pointing things, different things into your way so you can actually see, right, so that's a great idea. We can actually have it in, in, uh, in place or we can put it into the backlog and prioritize it and ha perhaps have it uh, implemented at some point when you have the capacity for it. So yeah, indeed, that's, uh, that's a very good observation.
How do NFTs actually come into it then? I mentioned it a couple of times, but share a bit about how NFTs fit into crowdfunding if they do. Uh, so basically what we're going to be having right now is not going to be focused on the NFTs. So we're going to be focusing on conventional crowdfunding for CDON. Of course, we're going to have the donation-based NFT crowdfunding campaigns. Uh, additionally, we have an, a new solution, which is CDON Finance. And this is at the moment a, uh, a solution, which is a wallet. It also has taking investing capabilities. Uh, we have built it because I have discovered before the, the last investing schedule on the 15th of May that we actually need to build those features and, and the functionalities for Cedon, right? So we're gonna have to build the wallet, we're gonna have to be able to transfer funds from one address to another. So why not actually have it as a separate solution? We can actually build it and, and perhaps sell it for other projects as well so we can build revenue. And that is going to be slowly uh, transformed into a launchpad. And that launchpad is going to actually be able to have crypto projects, which is going to have either a cryptocurrency or an NFT. But for the Cedon, uh, the moment we only have uh, conventional crowdfunding, which is going to be equity and donation-based. What I'd be curious to know as well is when it comes to previous crowdfunding companies and platforms, mm -hmm. the marketing and getting the word out seemed to be where a lot of people either thrived when it came to crowdfunding or they struggled in the essentially died a slow death when it came to to their campaigns you know they fought to yeah. keep it going they battled they became extremely stubborn in some cases because they didn't want to quit they didn't want to actually fail in a way when it came to the crowdfunding yeah. campaigns do you solve that problem as well when it comes to crowdfunding because if you just put it up there and it does really well without a whole lot of marketing it's no massive difference between seed on and traditional if it worked that same way, which speaks to the fact that it probably doesn't really. You need to market it and get the word out at the same time. Do you help campaigns with that as well? Yes, yes, of course. We're also going to be having in place uh, for our uh, crowdfunding campaigns, which will be listed on Sidon. We're going to be benefiting from our social media presence and uh, from press releases uh, because we have also a partner for, 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 the, for the PR. We're also going to be doing this. We're going to have a great project and actually try to get the word out into it, into our community. We're also going to be having some sponsored ads and also the press releases for uh, for each successful campaign for our platform. So because we're going to be doing this because slowly we're going to be developing into a, into a company which is going to be established into this into this sector, which is going to be based on blockchain. We actually, actually are working on building the community so we can expand it furthermore. And this way we can actually get the word out so the entrepreneurs can be able to focus on the product development and actually worry about marketing at the later stage, not in the early stages of the company and when it's going to try to, to fundraise the capital. So, of course, we're going to be having the social media presence for them. We're also going to have some, uh, some um, uh, newsletter on email for all investors and also with, uh, with press releases. Did that actually be the case? No, sorry, I'll say that again. Is that the case with previous crowdfunding platforms as well where you would have access to their network and previous investors and and those sorts of things did you do any sort of competitor research so to speak to find that that was actually something that wasn't being offered and wasn't being given so from this perspective uh no it's not something that we have uh, as a distinctive point right so this is actually which this is something which is already being done by other by other uh, platforms uh, what they are doing, so for example, for, for Republic, they are doing a newsletter when they have a, uh, a great crowdfunding campaign, which actually gets a lot of attention. It attracts a lot of investors into a short time. They also send an email out. Uh, maybe they also have some something paid. Uh, this is, uh, I think, this, this is I'm, an, I'm, I'm unaware of, but perhaps they offer the possibility for entrepreneurs to actually pay for a newsletter campaign and so on. Also, Kickstarter, I know they are doing uh, the same thing on their social media. So this is not something new on our side. This is something that actually the competition is doing. So we try to actually level it out and uh, start from the same point and also add additional features and benefits with the help of blockchain and other technologies. So what are some of the secrets to crowdfunding then? You've clearly got a lot of experience when it comes to crowdfunding, building communities, keeping them engaged and actually getting them to invest. A lot of people tend to invest with their wallets these days. How yeah. do we do that today? So we're talking 21st century crowdfunding. What are people getting wrong? What should people do instead? 
Yeah. So I think that the most important aspect, which is uh, which is coming into the uh, um, the aspect of crowdfunding, I think it's very similar to what we had for our ICO. So we had our ICO in December. So basically, they are sort of quite similar into the way that the team should be approaching the, uh, the fundraising. Is the fact that uh, today we have a lot of ICOs, a lot of IDOs, IEOs, crowdfunding campaigns, and so on. Uh, so you actually have to uh, have something which is going to be popping out when they look, people are going to be looking to invest their money. Uh, what we did, we we have tried to also promote transparency. So we have been transparent with our team, who we are, what we do. We also had um, uh, our social media presence presented to the to the community. We actually presented the idea. So I think that the most important the most important thing when it comes to crowdfunding is the team behind it. So people want to understand who is behind the project, uh, who they, who are they, who what they did before, and what are their expertise to try to understand if they can actually be able to manage to deliver what they actually want to do, and if they are going to be able to uh, successfully build a company because this is what what's, what's all about, right? So actually build uh, from the from the startup level to the uh, to company business model a uh, crowdfunding campaign. So I think that the most important thing is in fact uh, the team behind it, then transparency and communication. Because people actually want to understand what you are up to, what you are doing, um, whether you are delivering and so on. Unfortunately, this is something which we have been missing uh, in the past uh, couple of months because we have been very, very busy into the development of the product and, uh, and the solution. Uh, but I actually want to change this and actually go back the way we did things um, in uh, during the spring. Uh, so I actually have have weekly updates for our community and present to them what we are uh, what what we have been up lately and what is the progress for the company. What has been some of the major successes that you've you've had on CDOM? Because some people don't know that you exist, others do, others have clearly taken full advantage of, of what you can do in the blockchain space as well. So what has been some of the more successful campaigns that you've run? Uh, so at the moment, we didn't have any campaigns because we're going to be launching the platform uh, in August. So at the moment we are in the development. We have actually had our ICO stage in December. Uh, so we had two pre-sale rounds. We had a private and a public pre-sale. Uh, for the private round, we all, I have personally had one-on-one -on -one interviews with all uh, private investors to try to understand what is their commitment with our project. Why do they want to invest? Because of course they have access to a exclusive price for the token. So I wanted to understand what why they want to invest and to try to preserve the price and the value of the of the cryptocurrency. Uh, and then we had the public pre-sale round, which has been actually scheduled for 30 days, should have been from the 15th of December to the 15th of January, but we have managed to have everything sold out in less than five hours. So that was an impressive success for us, actually. We didn't, didn't see it, and it was, it was very, very, uh, very, very good surprise for it, for us. Yeah. Uh, from that point, we had the listing on uh, exchanges, centralized and decentralized. Uh, we also started the platform development, uh, as mentioned before, on the 25th of April, we have uh, released Sidon Finance, which is the wallet who's taking investing capabilities. We're also working on that one to slowly turn it into a launchpad. And we're going to be having a crowdfunding platform, which is going to be released in, uh, in August. Do you see crowdfunding being purely blockchain-based, or do you think there's always going to be some elements of Web2, as I think it's called, or offline as well how do you see the future of crowdfunding looking uh from my perspective i think that the blockchain can actually help things out and and uh, and we might actually be able to start a revolution into the crowdfunding space this is how i actually see this is this is my vision and this is uh this is what i try to actually achieve with sidon i just want to try to revolutionize the commercial crowdfunding because the blockchain holds significant potential for this there is no point to have all transactions hidden behind the scenes. I don't see the point for that because if you want to have a trustworthy platform which is going to be promoting uh, crowdfunding campaigns, you need to be transparent and actually provide to investors all the information they require to trust your solution and to actually be able to uh, to back up projects. Uh, so yeah, I do believe that the blockchain actually uh, has a significant part into this, uh, this revolution. Uh, as, as observed before uh, and, and mentioned before, Kickstarter has also had an article uh, specifying that they're actually looking to implement the blockchain. So there's significantly, uh, there's definitely a trend into this way. 
But I think that in the future, we're going to see more competitors trying to actually have the same approach and try to adopt the technology. Because from my point of view, it, it's actually something that will benefit definitely the industry. I can definitely see how blockchain is actually going to take over slightly, especially with all of the other people that I was mentioned before things like the film industry and movies and events it's all being made virtual in a way and it did make me think actually as a bit of a sidestep we talked about companies and entrepreneurs what about non-profits and charities as well does it all have to be essentially for profit in a way or how do you think about non-profits and charities as well uh so for our company at the moment we didn't think for non-profits uh so our focus for now is so basically our 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 one-year plan is to actually try to have custom campaigns and start building some revenue for the company so our focus for now is to try to actually uh, have in place a commission uh, mechanism so we can actually start doing revenue at the point in the future when we're actually going to be having enough custom campaigns we, we definitely can look into the non-profit sector but for now, this is not our, our focus for the company campaigns. Uh, of course, we already have some competitors into this, uh, into this uh, area, but for Sudan at the moment, uh, this is not in the, in the focus. So what kinds of companies have you noticed that tend to work better? Are we talking services? Are we talking products or some kind of hybrid of the two? What tends to work best company-wise or campaign-wise when it comes to raising money so from what i have observed and uh, based on on past experiences i think that the best crowdfunding campaigns which work uh, uh, which are the, actually the most successful are the product ones because people actually want to have something which uh, they're going to be receiving at some point at a later point for example uh, oculus rift know that vr headset they also had a crowdfunding campaign uh, yeah. i think that was maybe i don't know six years ago something like that and people actually thought that that was a great thing. They also, they also wanted to, to, to receive a headset and they actually did manage to, to raise about $1 million for their, for the company. So that was, that was a huge success. Uh, when it comes to services, again, it, those also have success. So they, we do have crowdfunding campaigns that we have seen uh, for services, which did manage to raise their goal, but usually people are looking for a product because for donation, for example, you actually pay in advance for a product. But if you pay for a service that actually might not work eventually, it's quite a bigger risk. But for the product, they're going to be raising capital, going to be building it, and they're going to be receiving it maybe in five or six months. So that's that's also, not also, but most of the time working out. I think that the different phases when it comes to the raising money as well will probably help as well when it comes to products because you can see how much it might take for you to do the research on it or mm-hmm. trying to build a technology or maybe a different material that you might need if something happens that you need a brand new material for, let's say. It can make people feel like they're investing in the next milestone as mm-hmm. opposed to the full project is there an element of that that you did on purpose or how much of this was based on your experience with crowdfunding and having essentially get scammed from from other crowdfunders how much of that informed your decisions how much of that how much of that informed your decisions and choices around building seed on and trying to create this platform yeah, so basically it had a, a big big impact on, uh, on my decisions uh, and my research because, as mentioned before, I did find the significant potential for blockchain implementation because uh, I already told you that we have followed the, the IBM technology. From the financial sector, there was a lot of adoption into it, so we did find crowdfunding as a, as a perfect fit for the implementation. But as mentioned before, I have also uh, been scanned with crowdfunding. So there was this cool idea. So if I remember correctly, I think there was a... a, a uh, a dashboard camera for your car in which you can actually have it be, uh, uh, installed into your vehicle and when someone for example was trying to back up and hit your car it had a proximity sensor to actually measure the distance between your car and the one uh, in front of it and if you actually got hit you would receive a push notification on your mobile device so you could see in real time uh, who actually hit you and you could actually call the police and so on so maybe you can have things further 
so that was something that I actually have pulled my money, my money in, and I was very disappointed that I didn't receive it. Uh, I also had a few, so that was about, I think it was $150, something like this that I have put in. And I also had another one, which was a smaller product. Uh, this was in the, uh, uh, in 2020, during the pandemics, uh, the COVID outbreak. And actually there was a device made of copper, which uh, you could actually use to, to build, to open doors and use for ATMs and so on, because copper was actually not holding the, uh, the virus. And also I didn't receive that one either. So yeah, basically it was sort of like based on the previous experiences. Um, I also know that in the in the crowdfunding industry there there are a lot of scams and a lot of uh, companies not delivering. Unfortunately, we cannot know for sure what is the the ratio for that because that would mean that the platforms would have to report that themselves because they know what is successful and what is not, and we don't have that. But I think that it might be not half. But I think it would be around thirty or forty percent which are a um, uh, failure for the crowdfunding campaigns. Is there a way then that as a consumer, we can actually trust what we are investing in? How do we do that? How do we actually find the right things to invest in, especially with transparency being one of the cornerstones of the blockchain technology? You can see where all the transactions are taking place and you can see it. It's kind of like a public forum essentially filled with transactions and everyone can see what everyone's doing yeah. how do you create trust in that environment then when you can invest but then it still might not happen how, how do you actually go about that yeah so basically uh, what i think that is going to be um let's say demotivating entrepreneurs to try to create a crowdfunding campaign for uh, for scamming and defrauding investors is going to be our smart contract escrow model. And this is what we have, what I have told you uh, in the beginning of the podcast, which is going to be the controlled startup capital infusion. Because we're gonna have the capital released for implementation stages, we're gonna have at most 20% for the first implementation stage, you're gonna have to get through with your company and start to actually develop it and achieve milestones. Only after having those in place, we're gonna have unlocked the next capital infusion. If you're not going to be able to have this in place, then we're going to start the crowdfunding campaign, not the, not the campaign, actually start implementation for the, for the company, have investors reimbursed for the rest of the capital, which is going to be 80%, or maybe less. If it happened for the third implementation stage, it's gonna have maybe a reimbursement for 40%. But nevertheless, this is going to actually discourage entrepreneurs to defraud because they're not gonna get the cash up front. They're gonna have it in the implementation stages. So I think this is going to be a natural factor which is going to be filtered out those cameras because if they want the capital, they're not gonna have it uh, up front. So how did you integrate cryptocurrency into this then you mentioned tokens earlier on having to create a token to be able to use the platform i think you mentioned before yeah. is that something that you've had to do and how do you maintain or stabilize the value of something when it's it's created by like the the blockchain technology and the crypto spaces and is actually known for being massively stable um, especially as the investment vehicle side of things goes. How do you counteract all of that? How do you actually sit there and go, okay, we need something that we can actually trade with? Where do you go from there? Yeah, so basically uh, for our uh, platform, we actually had to build a, a token. This is our native token, Sian. Uh, we did this because we wanted to make use of the blockchain technology. So I wanted to have it, uh, our token as a medium of payment. So each and every transaction has at the core of it, our native token, so we can actually have it traceable into the blockchain. Um, in order to be able to have this, uh, people are going to be able to invest in two ways. Right? So from the investor's perspective, you can uh, you can either come over um, uh, over on our platform, Sidon, so you can deposit crypto. Uh, you can actually swap BNB or, or USDT for Sion and then actually use Sion to invest into a crowdfunding platform. Or you can actually come with a debit card because you might not be able not be able you actually might not be acquainted with cryptocurrencies you just want to invest with the debit card and that's it you can also have that in place but behind the scenes we're going to take the fiat money buy Sion, and then send it to the investment wallet so we can um, have it stacked for the for the invest for the uh, crowdfunding campaign uh, how we guarantee the stability for the token is the following so basically the investor is going to be investing using our native token it's going to see the transaction when we're going to be storing it and then the campaign is going to be ended we're going to be swapping it for stable coins, so that is going to be USDT, and then we're going to have the crowdfunding campaign's value 
held into the, the stable coin. And then we're going to be sending the capital to the entrepreneur that is going to be again swapped to Sion and then sent to, uh, to the uh, startup. And this way we can actually have a balanced uh, buy and sell order so we can uh, not have the tokens value uh, affected. I can actually picture a space where the investors go in and let's say the the token might move up or down, let's say, and they then need more to fund it because things have, have dropped and things have gone down. Is that something that you've foreseen, like where people crowdfund and they, and they put their cryptocurrency into the project and then it doesn't necessarily go as planned, not from the project's point of view, but from the cryptocurrency point of view and is there anything that you can think of that you can counteract that with or do you hold a certain amount that if let's say cryptocurrency takes a bit of a dive you can somewhat counteract some of that so that the projects still get made like did the people that create the projects get some kind of security as far as that's concerned yeah, so basically, as, as mentioned before, the, the capital for crowdfunding campaign is going to be held into a stable coin. Then we're going to have the transfer made for uh, for Cyan, which is going to be converted. And because we're going to have uh, the license for the crypto exchange, we're also going to be, make, be making the exchange from cryptocurrency to, to fiat money, but also are going to be having this in a, in a very short period of time. So this is not going to be happen in a, maybe in, in a few hours. We're just going to be in a, in a couple of minutes and actually be able to transfer those. Of course, there might be a margin for, uh, let's say, for depth, because of course the uh, the price might be volatile, so it might go up or down. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be that uh, that huge difference between the moment of transferring the Sian for the for the campaign and from the moment of actually uh, converting it to fiat money. Now, I've actually heard a bit of a, a weird rumor actually that mm-hmm. you've had to undergo quite a a journey yourself when it comes to actually building this like you've you've had to handle things like imposter syndrome quite a bit when it comes to creating companies and software developing and I thought I'd give you the chance to to share a bit more about that and just try and talk us through how you're trying to overcome those things and maybe you have yeah yeah uh, yeah, so basically, I do think that the imposter syndrome sometimes might be a, a bad thing, but I do believe it's a good thing because this is what actually keeps people motivated to become better at what they're doing and try to become an overachiever and actually try to be into competition with themselves. Because uh, I think that the most important thing is to try to have around yourself people smarter than you and actually try to, to learn and, uh, and evolve uh, uh, along with them or actually try to understand what they're doing and you can actually sort of like steal the information from them and become better at yourself. Um, yeah, so basically uh, from my from my path, from my path uh, I did go to high school, which was not related even remotely with the computer science. Then I went to the university. I did start to learn it by myself because I did find it attractive. I did like the computer science and I thought that I actually might be doing this and have fun with it. So I was lucky enough to discover a hobby as well into development for uh, for software and for computer science, so that was a great thing. And then I got into um, into a full-time job that was in 2016, and I was lucky enough to uh, to be surrounded with a lot of smart people. And I'll be I'll be honest with you. In the first year, I actually wasn't able to to speak with the team about technical perspectives because I found myself uh, less prepared than they were. Wow. So I also did try to actually take notes, whatever they were talking. I was just trying to take notes on my phone. Yeah. just write down the words in terms which I which were uh, were not familiar for myself and then go home and try to study so I did this for about I think it was about two years when I did wake up at uh, 7 a.m started studying went to work from 9 to 6 then come back at 7 p.m study again until late night uh, so yeah I do believe that this is um, something that people should do you're never too smart you're never too prepared to have anything encountering because if you fall into the other side and actually think that you are um, very prepared for something, you might be taken by surprise. So when something which was not foreseen is coming out your way, you actually might not be able to, to handle it because you had a different opinion for yourself than your actual expertise and experience. So I do believe it's a bad thing, but also maybe a greater thing to have. Do you think that you would have put that much effort into software developing if you didn't 
feel perhaps that you weren't good enough or that you didn't deserve to be there or whatever story was going through your mind at the time do you think that you would have worked that hard if you hadn't had those feelings initially no i don't think so no because usually people take it for granted right because you receive it so you just yeah yeah right so this is not the job i just had it but i was i was feeling like i was given a chance because i didn't have a uh, a past of um, of computer science education so when I did actually learn one by myself and I did receive a job for it, I, I just thought that was a chance of my life. And I just wanted to not let people down and try to actually um, uh, evolve and learn as much as possible so that I can actually keep up with the rest of the, of the people. So that's a good thing. That makes perfect sense, actually. Do you find that you still feel that? Do you still have that? Do you still try and put yourself in those situations because you know the benefits that like you know how you're wired like you feel it and then you try to correct it by effort and work ethic and trying to study and learn all these new things do you continuously search for that as well constantly yes uh, i think this is actually the key for for evolution i actually like uh, like having around myself people that I actually learn from uh, what we have right now so i'm just looking to i'm i'm based in ashramena so this is in the northeast part of the country what I'm trying to do right now is just to try to surround myself with people which actually are doing things similar or remotely to what we are doing. Because even though, let's say that someone has a business in, uh, I don't know, maybe food and beverage or just real estate and so on, they also have challenges. So it's important to actually get with those people and try to discuss and, and present different challenges and solutions for those. Because you can actually might find something useful to their story as well. Even though they're not into computer science or crypto, definitely there might be something which might be helpful for you. Uh, and yeah, of course, I, I also try to uh, to keep up with the latest news and, and trends. I also try to understand and read as much as possible. And uh, if I'm if sometimes I'm feeling that I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm just leaving. <laughs> just kidding. So this is a saying in Romanian, but I think this is actually <laughs> that something that we should be we should be looking for. Yeah. And also try to look for uh, for rooms in which you're not the smartest one. Do you think that? you'll ever get to a point uh, sorry, where you don't feel you it yeah no I, I can hear you now yeah, oh sorry. is everything okay yeah now it's fine, now it's fine. okay cool wonder if there was a weird weird thing there with the audio all right here we go so do you think that you will ever get to a point where you stop feeling it or do you think you'll always keep searching for it and keep trying to find the next thing and then the next thing do you think you'll ever stop doing that uh, this is funny because I was talking with a friend of mine, I think last weekend about the same thing. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to stop because you get used to it. This is actually how you can, uh, this is how you get yourself built and this is what you get used to. And we're going to be stopping it. We're not going to know what you're going to be doing with your time or why are you stopping? Why, why am I doing this? I have to keep going. Why should I stop? And I think this is a good thing because if it if it goes according to plan and you're going actually becoming successful and you actually start building something which is going to bring value to the market why stop there i think it's very important to actually keep going and i don't think you can actually start you can actually stop i think that's that's something that is very difficult to do because you get used to the to the feeling to the team you get used to the people you get used to the processes and if you stop you're going to feel like something is missing actually for for myself so what I do right now is uh, I'm in the office from Monday to Saturday. Uh, I do work a lot of a lot of time, and the only day off I have is Sunday. If I would have more, and I did try to have sort of like half day Saturday work and then half uh, half off, I do have too much time. <laughs> I have no idea what to do, so I can't actually stay away from the laptop or just try to read something or just uh, yeah try try to be productive in some way. So what advice would you give to someone that was going through something similar? Because imposter syndrome is something that so many people feel, and yet some think that it's a good thing, some think that it's a bad thing, some have a very, should we say, complicated relationship with feeling like they're not good enough or not worthy or any of those things. What advice would you give to someone in that situation? Uh, so my advice would be to not punish yourself. You have to understand your condition. You have to understand what you're going through. Uh, you can never know everything. You're always going to be meeting someone which knows more than you for a certain field or something. It's, I think this is normal. You just have to, to understand and, and um, uh, become aware of your condition. Just try to, uh, to be able to find the balance between confidence and imposter syndrome. 
because if you're an imposter, if you have the imposter syndrome, but you have no confidence, I think that's bad because it's going to be making you, um, it's going to be very harmful for yourself. But I think that you should just never stop trying. You should also be uh, resilient. You should uh, keep going very hard. You should try to understand and learn as much as possible because this is what I actually have learned in the past years is that uh, the most successful people are not the smartest one or the most talented one. Those are the most resilient ones because they never give up, they never stop. They actually try to move things forward and push it harder and harder until they become uh, the version that they actually want to be. What do you do yourself that helps you keep resilient and tries to build this sense of keeping on moving forward? Is there anything that you do every day or every week or however long that helps you with that? Uh, sleep. Sleep is a very important factor because if you're not rested, <laughs> then you might have a few, a few psychological downturns. So you do lack motivation and you do lack confidence when you lack sleep. So I did go through this and I did discover the fact that in the morning I had a very great positive attitude, but in the evenings I was like, right, so maybe I'm going to give up for those, those type of, uh, of thoughts. But I think that sleep and working out is very important. Um, it's very important to stay focused and to work a lot of time and to actually try to uh, uh, to become an overachiever. But it's equally important to um, get a good night rest. Try to when you, when you actually leave the office and go home, try to not think about work. When I have to, even if you have one or two or half an hour in the evening until you go to bed, you should just keep your mind fresh. Just try to actually cool it off and try to uh, disconnect from the uh, from the issues and problems from the office. This is very important. And perhaps maybe. One weekend, it depends on the workload for each and every one, but one weekend uh, monthly, I think it should be taken off. So Saturday and Friday, uh, sorry, Saturday and Sunday, and actually maybe go into the mountains and take a hike or just try to ride a bike, but without your mobile phone and without internet connection. This is, I think, the, the most same thing to do. I've actually found as well is that if I can be work mode and then not work mode, like I try and have like a very, very firm line between when I'm working and when I'm not working, that can help. But then, mm -hmm. as you said, it's trying not to constantly check your phone. And more and more and more people are deleting apps off their phone that take them away from social interactions that they would otherwise really enjoy. But if they're constantly checking their phone going, oh, yeah, okay, right, yeah, okay, yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. They're not really experiencing the actual life that they're in. They're just on their phone. So I found, and a lot of people have actually told me that they delete all social media off their phone. They mm -hmm. don't use it. It's only on their computer or their desktop or laptop or whatever it is that's the only time that they actually spend on social media, which, yeah, you're limited on what um, features you can use, you're limited, that sort of thing. But mm. as a consumer, it's on their computer when they're creating, that's the only time they're allowed to have the app on their phone. And what they actually do, which I'm sure you might even be able to implement this, I know I have, is they actually only install the apps to use the features that they want to use in that moment at that time and then delete the app again. So the app's only on their phone mm. when they're using it for the productive, however, however long that they spend on the app. It seems a bit strange to constantly delete an app and then re-upload <laughs> an app again. It can feel very yeah. drawn out. All I want to do is do this thing over here. I've got to go mm. through this whole long drawn out process just to, I don't know, do a, a live stream or post about what crowdfunding campaigns I'm supporting or whatever it is. It seems like a long drawn out process, but they've convinced me that it's better when your phone is off or when they're not using their phone. It's so much better when they're not using their phone because the apps are not on there and they don't have the constant notifications and hey your friend has posted in such and such a place that you have no idea you're not that interested but the phone mm -hmm. just throws it to you anyway it seems yeah. like being able to be undistracted or present in the moment when you're not working 
helps you then focus when you are working did you find that you're more focused when you're working when you take some definite time off yeah definitely because usually when you're trying to spend a lot of hours in the office you sometimes become uh, unproductive right? because even though if you spend more time is maybe if you spend 10 or 12 hours in the office if you're productive only for six it doesn't make sense to spend the extra hours so i think this is why it's important to find the balance and actually i think I think it's different for each individual, right? Because everyone has its own recipe. Everyone has its own way of working and its own uh, span for focusing. So for example, from my side, I do like coming early in the office. So I do like to come into the office about 7 a.m. because I do have about two or three hours of silence, right? In which I can actually try to plan the day, try to actually do some catch up on the news and updates and so on. And when uh, the, the, the people are going to be coming into the office at nine or 10 a.m., then we can actually start working and discussing and try to plan the day and so on. But I already have my plan, which has been made uh, early on for the day. So actually be, I'm actually able to, to stick to it. But if I come, if I come later into the, into the office about nine or 10 AM, I, I just go and jump right into it. So I don't have time to focus my, uh, my, my let's say my objectives for the day and actually try to, uh, to plan it out. I just go into it and it becomes chaos because I, there's a lot of things to do and uh, there's not enough time to actually do it. That's a fair point, actually. The The whole idea around having to be disciplined because you don't have a whole lot of choice. It's like the busier I get and the busier I'm sure you get, you don't have the time to check your phone for a couple of hours. You don't have time to sit and play games for hours on end. It's You've got to be focused because you don't have the time to do anything else and I found that I'm actually more productive when I've hit this sweet spot of how busy I am like if I'm not busy enough I don't feel like I have to do anything particularly quickly because it's going to get done there's not enough on my plate essentially to amp me up and get me to actually do it if I'm too busy, I look at it and think no matter how much I do, no matter how fast I work, no matter how much time I dedicate to this, there's always going to be something left over at the end of the day. And I found it's the sweet spot between those two things. I'm not sure what what you think around being productive and being focused. That there's got to be some sweet spot somewhere. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. So for my, from my side, usually... Uh... As much before I need to come early in the office, I need to focus for about two, two or three hours to catch up and try to, to plan the day. Uh, because, for example, if I don't get enough sleep or I just not, if I'm not going to be able to make the plan for the day, it's going to be in my disadvantage because either, either way, I'm going to have to do it. So I, I don't have the option to not do it because I'm going to have to run action on a strict schedule. We have some estimations which, are, uh, which, are, which need to be met. So I do have to deliver. And it's, it's my choice if I actually um, uh, become productive and actually focus and try to, to reach that, maybe at that goal to wake up at 6 a.m. rather than uh, sleeping late and then not be able to, to achieve it because that's going to be into my disadvantage because I have to do it anyway. And it's my choice. Do I want to do it calmly and in a state of mind which is, uh, let's say, peaceful, right? Because I already have the, the time and I have planned it out. Or I want to go and wake up straight into the chaos and try to get things done and not be able to do everything and then just spend late nights into the evening and then come because this is sort of like a circular dependency because if you go into this uh, this loop you're not going to be able to uh, to stabilize it because it's chaos every day and it just uh, it's taking out more energy than it should um, uh, than it should for the same task but if you actually try to plan it wake up in the morning maybe exercise uh, or maybe go to a swimming pool and so on i did actually start to do uh, cold showers for about uh, two months and I go into the cold shower in the morning at CCM, I just get an instant boost of energy and I actually can go to the office and, and some my day. That makes sense, actually. It's almost like if you spend some time sharpening your axe, cutting down a tree is so much easier than going four times quickly with a blunt instrument. It's like you've got to get your mind right and then everything else afterwards becomes so much easier. Well, Claudio, yeah. it's been great to have you on the show for those that are listening how can people find out more about you if someone wanted to find out more about you where can they go great thank you for having me as well so if they want to find out more about us and what we do they can also go to cdan.io that's the website for our company 
I have over there into the team section, I have links for my social media accounts for LinkedIn and Facebook. We also have a Telegram uh, group in which people can actually join and ask any question they want. And we also are going to be gladly answering those. Lately, we have been a bit busy, so we have the community managers taking care of those. But we do have a group with them so they can actually keep us updated in, in regard to the question from the community members. So yeah, if anyone, can, if anyone wants to get in touch with us, they can go on our website and then follow the social links over there so we can keep in touch. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Those that are listening, feel free to subscribe, share the show, tell others, and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts. Claudia, thanks so much for being a guest on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you very much for having me. Likewise. Bye-bye. If you want to join a group of like-minded people that are all out to achieve their goals, their dreams, their aspirations, and that gets the help and support from me and the other members, then my inner circle is for you. There's a link in the description for this episode to get two months free of the inner circle. So you set your membership up, you get two months free access. Hopefully I'll see you there and I look forward to helping you on your journey of achieving the life that you want.